You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Today, we are in a series called The Woke Church, and I hope that it's woke you up. Because <laughs> I know that some of you are like, woke, man, I don't know if I like that title. And some of you are like, I like that. And who cares? Like, really? Because the bottom line is, Ephesians says this, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ, Christ will shine on you. So I want you to turn to somebody next, next to you and say, Awake, O sleeper. We might have to do this in 30 minutes or so. Some of you falling asleep. Wake, O sleeper. We have a lot to talk about today. But we're actually continuing a message from last week that many of you told me that offended you. So I figured what better way than to preach the part two of the offense called the offended nation. But I think it was a good offense. From what I heard, people said I needed that. How many know that it's good to be offended when God does it? What? How does that make sense? I'll tell you how it makes sense. Today I want to continue this, but I want to talk to you about how to get over your offense. Anybody need that? Wow, no hands went up. So this, forget this message. I preached a message on prosperity. Who wants their best life now? Raise your hand. I see where you're at. We live in an offended nation, and we celebrate offense. In fact, some of you are offended by my hat today. Any um, Houston Astro fans? Okay, some of you, I'm not sorry. We're going to beat you. Any Titans fans? Any other fans other than Eagles? Raise your hand. I'm just kidding. We're beating you guys as well. The Sixers are just slowly getting up to momentum, but we'll beat everybody else as well. Some of you are offended what I just said. That's sports. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter what we say, right? We're going to offend someone. And here's the deal. We have to be, as people of God, unoffendable. And this seems so hard because we know offense comes. And there's really two different kinds of offense. Let's just get it out of the way. There's the offense that person did not mean to offend you, but they did, right? They said something. They didn't mean to offend you. You took an offense. You got to work that out. But guess what? Scripture talks about this in Proverbs 6. It talks about people coming into the body to offend. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Now, that makes me want to go, I want to listen to this. Haughty eyes, which it's not like smoky eyes, which women do. I, I've heard about that. This is something different. How do I even know that? Because I have a lot of girls in my house. A lying tongue, okay? A hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Wow, that's, that, that one right there could preach. A false witness who breathes out lies. And then this is the big one. This is the big one. This makes God mad. One who sows discord among brothers. Notice it wasn't anything that you might have thought, I would have thought would have been the top five of the sins. This is something that every one of us in this room has either done or has been very dangerously close to doing. So here's the deal. Today, I want to talk to you about not the offense that, you know, maybe happened. It wasn't really truly meant to offend you. But I want to talk to you about the genuine offense that you and I have gone through. Genuine offense. You've been offended and you have every right to walk in bitterness and unforgiveness and offense. But how many know? 1 Corinthians, there's scripture for that as well. 1 Corinthians 11. 
Paul's talking to the church of Corinth and he says this to them. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Can you imagine your pastor saying that to you today? Thanks for coming. We're actually worse off that you showed up. That's what Paul's saying. Paul, thanks for the letter, man. Appreciate it. He says it's worse because when you come together, why? For in the first place, when you come together as the church, I hear that there's divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions. Pause for a moment. The word factions in the Greek means dissensions arising from diversity of opinions and aims. It's, he's saying there actually has to be that among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Paul says that offense is going to happen and it has to happen in the church in order for God to see who really loves me and who really could care less. Wow. Thanks, Paul, for that word. Who wants to go to that church? You're in that church. Why? Because you have an opportunity to be offended even right here. Turn to somebody next to you and say, don't offend me. Now, if it's your wife or your spouse, they have. Some of you are offended because you're not in the seat that you really wanted. So, you may be saying to me, Pastor Mark, how could God allow offense to happen to me? Because he did it to everyone else in the Bible. <laughs> he did it to Moses, to Job. Ha, come on now. He did it to David and Joseph. I want to talk to you about Joseph today. I want to talk to you, subtitle of this message is, from the pit to the palace. How to overcome genuine offense. From the pit, we move it on up, to the east side, to a deluxe palace in the sky. We're moving on. One of my favorite shows. Some of you don't know that because you're not old. But I want to talk to you about Joseph from the pit to the palace. I want you to write this down, Joseph, Genesis 37 through chapter 46. We're not getting to all that today. But for some of you that want to read through this whole story, I want you to read Genesis 37 to 46. It's an amazing story. But today I want to start out Genesis 37 verse 3. I want you to know that this Joseph is not the one married to Mary, not the father of Jesus. This is Joseph, the great-grandson to Abraham. We know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and I always like to throw Joseph in there because I believe Joseph's lineage is so important. What he did to the family, we're going to see today how important he is to our lineage and legacy. Joseph was a brother of 11 other brothers, and he may have had sisters, but in this particular case, we're counting the brothers, the men, and Joseph was greatly loved by his father, Jacob. It says in verse 3, now Israel, who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was a son of his old age. Pause for a moment. I want you to say, enter in offense. There you go. And he made him a robe of many colors. Say, more offense. <laughs> but when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all of his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Wow. Talk about family dynamic. It says now, verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Say, more offense. This is not going well. We're only in chapter verse 5. It says, and he said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. 
Behold, we were binding sheaves of wheat in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him, offended him even more for his dreams and for his words. Things are not going well for Joseph in his family dynamic. Let's continue. Verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Wow, you thought he would have learned the first time. He said, Behold, I've had another dream. Oh, dude, Joseph, please tell. We cannot hear this dream again. Thank you for bringing your beautiful coat in here as well. Please entertain us with this beautiful dream. Behold, I saw the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, and they were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, Why is this dream that you have dreamed? What is this dream? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept these sayings in mind. This is not off to a good start for Joseph. Joseph is a young man, about 17 years old here, and he's having dreams from God. These are legit dreams. But he's sharing them, and he doesn't realize that in the moment of him sharing what God's doing, he's causing more and more offense to happen in his family. We know that a coat of many colors is a big deal because that meant that there was money behind it. For you to spend that much money weaving and sewing a coat with all different patterns and colors, you had money. We also know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that lineage was blessed. That's what God said he would do. He would bless them. So they redug wells. You can read about it in the past here in the Old Testament. And they would have much wealth. So Joseph was used, used to being blessed. Well, here's the deal. When you share your dreams, that all your brothers are going to be bowing down to you, you cause some problems. And so what happens is Joseph is going to his brothers. They're out in the field. And his, his dad says, go out there and, and go communicate with them and go meet with them. And he does. And as they see him coming, they say, listen, this dude's getting on our nerves. We're tired of this dude. Let's just kill him. Now, you know you got to be pretty bad off if your brothers want to kill you. So they said, let's kill him. And one of the brothers says, you know what? Instead of killing him, let's sell him. We'll make some money. You thought your family was dysfunctional. <laughs> so they throw him in a pit. They throw Joseph in a pit. And they wait for these slave traders to come by. They sell him into slavery. Because they figure, you know, here's the deal. We'll make some money. He'll go off to a foreign land. We'll never see him again. Dad'll think he's dead. It'll be good for us. And that's what they do. Now here's the deal. I want you to understand through the life of Joseph how you can live above offense. Because as we go on in this story, I'm going to show you a man that had every opportunity to be offended. Enter exhibit A. You're in a pit being sold by your brothers. They hated him. So number one, how to overcome genuine offense. Number one, you got to press through the offense. It's coming. It's on you. It's at your door every day. It's where, there to greet you. Offense is on your social media account. <laughs> Amen. Offense is at the grocery store. Offense is on 31 as you try to drive through the city and you're in traffic. Come on now. Offense is because of the song that comes on the radio that you didn't want on the radio. It's offense, offense, offense. It's coming. You're going to have to press through it. That's number one. And I'll give you key questions with each one of these. My key question for number one is this. Does this message offend you? If it does, you're offended. 
Because even if the talk about offense, it's going to offend you. Offense is like an open wound. If you ever had an open wound and it's still raw, you push it and you touch it and it hurts. And for so many of us, we allow that wound to be untreated and it hurts. Every time you see so-and-so come in, it hurts. Every time you hear their voice, it hurts. Every time they post, it hurts. Why? Because you've not dealt with your offense. You have to understand, number one, and over to overcome it, you have to realize it's coming for you. And this is the very beginning of your breakthrough, is understanding it. In fact, in every AA program, what do they say? The first step is admitting that you have a problem. The first step in the church today, unfortunately, because we don't read our word, is to know that we have offense in the church and that we are an offended nation. And that that stuff creeps into here because we start to do like the world does. You are going to be offended in the election cycle. You're going to be offended what people post on there. So get it in your mind now. Offense is coming. Let me just say another thing about elections because we know we need to vote and it's important to vote for the people that we know God is behind and we believe that God, the principles of God. But how many know it's getting very murky now, right? It's getting real murky. Can I be honest with you? Is that okay? I know this is tough. Oh, well, here's the deal. The reality is, is we serve a king above every candidate. So no matter what happens, he's seated on the throne. Jesus is on the right hand and they are ruling and reigning over every king and over every principality and power. So be reminded today God is in control. Back to Joseph. Thrown in a pit, sold, went from a wealthy family to now a slave. He gets to Egypt, the most powerful nation at this time in the world, and they sell him into slavery to an officer of Pharaoh called Potiphar. Some of you know the story. Potiphar actually, he works so hard. For, and this is interesting because many times when we're offended, we feel like it's okay for us to just mail it in. Joseph, because he's living above offense, he actually works so hard to the person that enslaves him that Potiphar, there's favor on him. Oh, and, and then it gets even better. His wife, Potiphar's wife, finds Joseph very attractive. It says daily he was tr she's trying to pursue him into sexual intercourse with him. Now, Joseph could have easily said, listen, my life, <laughs> it's been tough. I haven't had one good thing go right for me, so why don't we just get jiggy with it? You know, he could have said that. He could have said, I didn't say that. He could have said that. Could have justified his sin. Many of you, come on now. You're laughing, but you know. Sometimes when you're offended, you can justify being offended. It's real. But this is what he says. He says this. I, I love this. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He had no offense to God. Wow. Good news. She goes, I was just playing. I was checking your heart. You're amazing. Let's promote you. No, she rips his robe off. He leaves his robe running away from her. She cries rape. He gets thrown into the most deadliest of prisons in the land. It's the prison where all the king's enemies, Pharaoh's enemies go. Oh, man, he just got downgraded. You thought the pit was bad. This is even worse. Some of these places, these prisons, they would have been dark. They would have been Damp, they would have been, I mean, it would have been a place where you would never have wanted to be. And Joseph's thrown in there for a crime he didn't commit. Sounds like the 18. I know somebody said the 18 over here. I was like, all right. So number two, how to overcome offense. Number one, it's coming for you. Number two, stay hopeful, not hurtful. And this, my friends, is the holding area where many of us get stuck. Because we've been offended, rightfully so. And now it's a joy to be hurtful in the offense. We actually linger in here. 
In fact, let me, let me give you a key question to wonder if you're in this particular area of your process, because I'm trying to take you to a process of healing. Here's the key question. Do you have a support group or a report group? What I mean by that is a support group that says, come on, Jake, you got to get out of this, bro. You're better than this. You know what God's word says? You can do this. Or a report group is one you come back to to linger in your offense together. How many know offense loves company? You got offense? Somebody else is offended too. Come on, let's get together and have coffee and talk about offense. It happens all the time. I hear it at Fainting Goat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Stay hopeful, not hurtful. Joseph had every reason. He was now in the king's prison. And this is what it says in Genesis 39. It says this, but the Lord was with Joseph and he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. This gets better. It says the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. <laughs> Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's care and charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to succeed. This does not happen to an offended person. This happens to a person that's hopeful, that says that even though I'm in the prison, I'm going to still proclaim the goodness of God. How do I know that he was healed? How do I know that he's walking, he's not walking in offense? Is because of all the actions. How many know that if Joseph really was bitter, we'd have it in the Bible? And I'll give you another example. Joseph's in prison, right? And I, I know this to be a fact because bitter people don't want to help other people. Offended people aren't interested in helping them unless they're offended too. Joseph's in the prison, doing prison things, <laughs> lifting weights, pumping iron, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's crocheting things, you know what I mean? I don't know. I've never been to prison. What'd you think? Okay, anyway, the point is he's in jail and two guys come up to him, two guys that were thrown in jail and they're the cupbearer to the king and the baker to the king. And they come up to him and they say, listen, I don't know. We heard something about dreams. You get dreams. We just had two dreams. They share their dreams. You can read this. And Joseph says, good news for one of you. <laughs> Not good news for the other dude. The one guy in three days, you're going to go back into the palace. Baker, you're going to be good. Cupbearer, um, actually, cupbearer is going to be good, okay? The baker, bad news. You're going to be in three days. Your head's going to be cut off. You're going to be hung. Thank you, Joseph, for that word, man. We appreciate that. Three days happen. Bam, both happen. Exactly what he said. Now, Joseph says to the cupbearer, he says, listen, do me a favor. Don't forget your boy. When you go to the palace and you see Pharaoh, tell him about me. You know, the guy that gave you the dream. I mean, I, I interpret it for you. Don't forget. Guess what he does? He forgets. Two years, Linday. Two years the dude forgets about Joseph. Can you imagine every day waking up? Surely he told Pharaoh by now. Surely he told Pharaoh by now. What could that bring in your life? Another round of offense? Two years. What's Joseph doing? Cleaning things. Fixing things. Being faithful with what? He has. He's hopeful, not hurtful. In two years, Pharaoh, the leader of this whole thing, has two dreams. Pretty powerful. He asks all his mystics. Anybody know what this means? Nobody does. Cupbearer goes, oh, yeah. yikes. Well, there's a guy in prison, and uh, two years ago I was supposed to tell you about him. He's real good with dreams. Let's bring him back up in here. So Joseph finally gets before Pharaoh. He interprets both dreams. He says, here's the deal. Both dreams, they're both the same thing. 
God is saying to you, he's giving prophetic insight into the future. He's saying, you will have seven years of plenty, a harvest coming. And after that will be seven years of famine. And if you're wise enough and you put the right people in place, you'll actually be able to harvest what you do in the seven years of good to cover and take care of all the seven years of famine. Pharaoh, the one above everything, says to Joseph, he says, you know what? You're the man. I'm promoting you to the second in command. From the pit to the palace. This does not happen if you're offended. This story does not end like this. If he is offended, bitter, angry, I'm not going to interpret your dreams. Do you know I shouldn't even be here? He goes because he understands that offense has no place in my heart. Number three, how to overcome genuine offense is you need to forgive, you need to release, and you need to pray for your offender. Ooh, that is hard. Let me put it this way. How about if I put it like this? You need to rinse, wash, and repeat. Because here's the deal. Many of us, you've tried to forgive. You still hate them. Real talk. Sometimes it takes a couple times. See, what I'm trying to tell you is, is there's no magic thing that I'm going to do at the end of the service and poof, all your offense is gone. It's something you and I have to daily die to ourselves. Did you know that your spirit man is unoffendable, but your flesh is offendable? It's depending on what you choose to partner with. If you choose to partner with your flesh, you will be offended. If you walk in the spirit, you will rise above offenses. So here's what we have to do, because God's word says it, to forgive to release. Now, you could be somewhere in this sentence. I'm in the forgiveness mode. I haven't been able to release them. Maybe you're releasing them. Now you got to pray for them. Lord, I pray for them. Oh, that's hard. And here's a key question to all of this. Do you have compassion for them or do you want to trash them? Do you want to compassion or trash them? Because if that person walked in the room and your first thought was, oh, get them in coming to my church, then you're probably dealing with offense. But if you see them through the eyes of Christ, you will have compassion for someone that has offended you because you'll see the hurt in them and you'll realize they're only operating out of a systematic generational hurt in their life. That's next level. Some of you are like, I'm not there yet. Good news, you can be. And we're believing you will be because the story gets better. Genesis 45. This blows me away every time I think about it. Every time I read this. Joseph. You can read all, this, all the details. It's good. Joseph's now the second in command over all of Egypt, which essentially means that everybody in the area that is going through famine now has to come to him. So here he is, sitting there with a pharaoh thing on. I don't know what they wear, gold, sarcophagus things. That's when you die, I think. I don't know. He's got something on him that looks like an Egyptian thing. Got a cat, because they had cats back then, too. He's sitting there, and all of a sudden, look, can you just imagine this day? Imagine this day. Because I want you to know I've done the math, and it was 13 years. 13 years that he was thrown in the pit to when he now is in a prominence in the palace. And he's sitting there doing his high accounting things, and in walks his brothers. They don't recognize him. Scripture says they don't even know it's him. Probably didn't because he probably had eyeshadow on. I don't know. Those Egyptians, they're weird. And he's beginning to realize they don't know who he is. So he plays some games with them to check their heart. It's interesting. You got to read it. It's really cool. Finally, they come back to him. And now he knows, no, these guys, their hearts are softened. 
They're not the same bad dudes that threw me in the pit before. I can work with these guys. And in verse chapter 45, verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from here. And so no one stayed with him. And Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard him and the household of Pharaoh heard him. And Joseph said to his brothers, he said this. He said, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? His brothers could not answer him because they had to pick their chin off the floor. <laughs> so Joseph said to his brothers, listen to me, this is so important. Tell them to call back. We'll be right there. Just a minute. Just give me a few more minutes. I'll, I'll land this plane. <laughs> it's always interesting when somebody has that ringtone. Anyway, so many other options. <laughs> Sorry if I offended your ringtone. This is an interactive service. Did you know that? Look at this. Look at this. Verse 4. Look, uh, listen. Joseph says to his brothers, he says, come near to me. This is where it gets good. I'm telling you. This blows me away. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there's yet five more years in which neither plowing nor harvest. Listen to me. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors for it is not you who sent me here but God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a man that is not only unoffended, but he is weeping over those that offended him. Don't, hurt, don't hate on yourself for selling me into slavery, for putting me in a pit, for making me go to prison. All of this was worthwhile so that I could bless you. That leads me to number four. Number four, if you want to live above offense, you got to find others to bless, including the person that offended you. Oh. If this was a video game, this is the final level. This is the big boss you got to beat. See, blessing them speaks of true healing in your life. Key question here is, can you celebrate God using them, using you to bless them? Maybe you're not there yet, but let me say this. Your blessings in your own life are contingent on you releasing your offense. I'm going to take it even a deeper level. Some of you know this, but not everybody in this room knows that Joseph was not only part of a great lineage, but he set up the future for Israel. Him and his brothers were the 12 tribes of Israel. Not only that, but his brother Judah is the lineage in which Jesus came through. God used Joseph to save the 12 tribes of Israel to promote his son Jesus through this. Joseph was a savior. That's why when I look at it, I think about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I like putting Joseph in there because as far as I'm concerned, he's just as important to the story. And Joseph had to overcome so many things. And my question to you and I today is, what is the lineage we are leaving to the families coming after us. Matthew 18. Jesus, this is Jesus. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults 
between you and him alone. This is, this is Jesus telling us how to walk this out. He says, if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. If he doesn't listen to you, take one or two along with you, and every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses that, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Now, this is interesting because many times we take things out of Scripture, out of context. And I wanted you to see this all together because I want you to see verse 18. We use this all the time. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, hallelujah, shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. We use that, right? I'm going to bind and loose. But it doesn't happen unless you do the first thing first. You have to first walk in forgiveness with your brothers and sisters before you try binding and loosening things. Oh, let's keep going. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth without anything they ask, it will be done for them in the Father's name. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And we're like, come on, there's more than two of us here hallelujah he's here hallelujah meanwhile you hating on your brother god says i ain't showing up until you work it out you can't let me say this this way you want authority you want answered prayers you want the presence of god and the nearness of god you have to walk in complete forgiveness with your brothers and sisters this is a prerequisite to the promise man i wish somebody would have told me that because i was binded and hey shandare. That's why you can go to churches and they do all of that and there's no power. That's why you can be around people that know how to prophesy and speak in tongues and do all these things, but they don't know how to actually have a relationship. God says, listen, you could do that all you want. My gifts and callings come without repentance. But if you really want my presence, if you really want to do damage, if you want to see real binding and loosening, you're going to have to deal with the person sitting next to you. Whoo. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I love you. This is not about you. This message has nothing to do with you. He is not talking about us. We good. Me and you, we good. Some of you married couples, you're like, uh, well, I don't know. I'm going to have to go to Golden Corral after church and walk this out. This, this message has done a, a doozy on me because, as I said last week, I realized, like, offense is a big deal. Like, that's something that many of us church and pastors, we talked about this last week. But I remember the Lord, as I was speaking, as I was just walking through this this past week, I remember the Lord shared with me a story that that happened to me. Some of some of you know that ministry is always interesting, and especially being in worship. And I, I remember when I first came to Nashville, I got involved in a church, and they planted a, a church in Spring Hill, right? And so they said, hey, you need to get Mark Rampula to come and help with worship. And so I was like, I'll do it. Yeah, okay. You know, what's it pay? Nothing. Okay, I'm coming. <laughs> Hallelujah. I loved it. I loved it. It was in a basement, believe it or not. And uh, it wasn't huge, and it wasn't, you know, glamorous. Um, it was in a basement. Did I mention that? Uh, and, and it was so unglamorous that I played keys, bass, and sang at the same time. How do you do that? You figure out ways. Some of you, some of you guys know. See, we, in, in Nashville, we've forgotten how, what the hustle looks like, right? Where you play the piano with the beginning part of the song, and it's all beautiful. The drums come in, you jump on the bass, and you hold the pad down with your sustained pedal. Woo! They go back to the keys. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I've lost you. Terminology. The reality is it was horrible. I did it, though, okay? But you know what I did when I did it? I actually fell in love with the people on the team, and I fell in love with our little church. It was hot in there. 
You guys were there. It was hot. The hunts were there, right? I mean, it was, it was my playing good? It was cool, right? When I did that, when I jumped to the, like, you were like, wow. Leon was digging it. And I remember, like, being in this moment and, and just thinking, I love what God's doing through me. I love it. One day, the pastor called me into a meeting, and uh, it was in the basement because we didn't have an office either. Um, and he brought one of the guys that was leading worship with us. And I'll never forget this. He sat me down, complete blindsided. He said to me, he said, you know, Mark, listen, we have some concerns about your, your leading. Okay. He goes, yeah, when, when you sing, you have a kind of a raspy voice and kind of feel like you're trying to make yourself sound like something. I'm like, what, like, like Creed? I'm, I don't know what you want. What do you want me to do? Arms wide open. I was like, that's my voice, man. It's like, what's, where are we going here? And you laugh, but they were dead serious. And I literally was like, is this a joke? Like, seriously? I mean, I'm not Celine Dion or anybody like that, but I mean, I mean, this is bad. Like, what's happening? He said, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put this guy over the worship department. We're going to ask you to come under him and step down. And I was like, are you seriously? Like, I was like dumbfounded. I'm like, I, I went home. Lord, I, I don't know what's happening. Did I do this? Am I singing? Do they want me to sing like the Bee Gees? I don't understand. I'll sing higher. Hi, hallelujah. I don't, I don't know what he want me to do. I, I literally was confused. And at that moment, a fence was ringing the doorbell of my heart. Because that next Sunday, they wanted me to play keys behind the new worship leader. Ah, yeah, this is good stuff. What songs do you want to do? And I did it. And I'm telling you, I remember that moment, and I felt like a complete fool. And I was literally checking my heart while I'm leading worship. I don't understand. I don't, my heart, I'm, we're in a basement. Come on. This is not cool. This is a basement. Why? And I remember just really doubting myself, and the enemy's working overtime. Fast forward a couple weeks, and uh, I guess the gig wasn't as glamorous as this worship leader thought it was going to be, so he bails. Pastor comes and sits me down and says, listen, I was wrong. We need you to do the worship again. <laughs> and I did. Now, here's where the story gets gooder. In that moment, I've had friends of mine that were on the team said to me, said, listen, we were watching you the whole time this went down. We had no clue what was going on, but we were watching you, how you responded. And the way that you responded, man, that ministered to me. Now, again, I'm not talking about a 1,500-seat auditorium with lights and LED screens. I'm talking about a basement, but it meant so much to me because my heart was there. And so it doesn't matter how big your ministry or how big your thing is. The enemy will come in, and he'll go after the very thing that you're falling in love with, and he loves using the church to cause the hurt. But here's the deal. Fast forward about a year later, this pastor ends up moving to another church and they make and ordain me, me to be the pastor of this church. Now you think, oh, it was in a basement. But what you don't understand was that was the beginning of this new trajectory from my life where I began to see myself as a pastor. And believe it or not, the Hunts and a few others, we gathered in our living room because that church closed down and we began to dream again. What can we do if we start a church? Are you up for the challenge? And I said, I don't know. Do I have to play keys and bass? You're probably going to have to do that. Okay, I'll do it. And we started Southview 13 years ago and that would never have happened and I never would have done this and I never would have saw myself as a pastor if I didn't watch my heart in that moment and I had every right to say I'm out 
I'm out. I'll never do this again. You guys are accusing me of something I'm not doing. You don't know who I am. You don't know my heart. And I could have walked in a fence for years. But for some reason, I thank you, Jesus, that I was able to tap into something supernatural, which was forgiveness, which was hope, to say that's not going to define me. And it was the way that I responded. Years later, pastors would tell me, we were watching you. People in the city were watching me. Now, I didn't know that. I didn't do this for them. I did it for me because I don't want a fence to be in here. That's just my story. But here's the interesting thing about it is we all have stories in this room. Every one of you, and some of you could write a novel. You could write a two-part. You could write a whole encyclopedia. Remember those? All full of offense that you've gone through. But it's your choice how you deal with it. And I'm preaching this message with fire because I believe that if the church will become unoffended in an offended nation, we will rise up to a place of prominence that the world will say, I want what you have because there's something about you. Don't you see what the enemy's doing? Saints, he is trying so hard to offend you as a Christian. You stand up for life. You're looked on as evil. I, I love babies. Now, I'm a woman. That's my rights. I get to kill whoever I choose. Do you not see what's happening here? The things that we stand for, the world is now saying, you offend me for that belief. So what do we do? We become unoffendable. We rise up with love that is from God. It's an agape love. It's a different kind of love. It's not the love that says, because you agree with me, I love you. It's the love that says, I love you because I'm loving you with a supernatural love. I, ooh, everything inside me says, I don't need to be, I don't want to see you or talk to you or be around you. But I know if I can get healed in my heart and I can see you through the eyes of Jesus, I can pray for you and believe like Joseph did. I actually can be a savior in the story of redemption for your life. What if this was a church full of Josephs? What if we were ones that could change the trajectory of your home, of your lineage? Some of you in this place today, I felt this. You've been justifiably offended and abused. I could see it. How do I see it? I can see it on faces today. Like, like literally, I, it's a spiritual thing, but when I preach, I see people, and I can literally feel what's happening in your mind right now. There's some of you looking at me, like you're like, I want this, but you don't know what I've gone through, and good news, he does. And there's not anything that you've gone through, and I'm talking about legitimately gone through, not made up, not, figured, not, not a misunderstanding, legitimately offended, legitimately abused. God can redeem that. God, God does redeem that. Can, just by a show of hands, how many of you have been offended and God has redeemed it and you've walked in forgiveness and seen the blessing of it in your life? Just put your hand, look at this, look at this. Look how many people, I'm not just speaking something, I'm talking about reality. For those of you that have yet to raise your hand, I'm believing this for you and I'm believing that it becomes normal for us because how many know we can raise our hand for one thing and have our hand down for another because the reality is, is the enemy is creeping, he's trying like a roaring lion, seeking who whom he may devour. And his tactic is not necessarily the things we think. It's the offense. It's the little foxes, scripture says, that spoil the vine. They nibble over here. They complain over here. Next thing you know, you hate going to church. Why? Because one person did something to you and you paint that broad paintbrush and now that's everybody. That's Pastor Mark. That's the whole church. That's the evangelical church. That's God. And we start painting broad brushes and the enemy sits back and goes, mission accomplished. 
I'm not going to sit back and watch my friends and my people that I love be in bondage to offense. There's good news. Because many of us in this room, you know, we want to be free. Nobody says, man, I, this, you know, I, I want to be like this. No, many of us, we want to just know how do we be a, a, unoffendable. And I just shared with you some scripture, but it all starts with number one. Many of us not only are offended by people, we're offended by God. So even when I'm talking about this, I'm sharing scripture. You're like, I don't even care about scripture because he's the one that offended me. I prayed for my loved one. She died of cancer. He's not real. That stupid song we sing, Too Good to Not Believe, where it said, I've seen cancer disappear. I've never seen cancer disappear. That God's a joke up there. What he let happen in my marriage, what he let happen in my relationships, I got abused by my father. He, he, he knew that was happening. And I'm telling you, the enemy wants you to be offended by God above all things. Because if he can offend you with him, then this doesn't become real, this church doesn't work, and people don't matter. So I'm telling you today, by the sound of my voice, I believe right now in this room that God's restoring hope back to you, that you're getting hope back in your life. And it's not some supernatural, mystical thing. It's God, him literally. He is the hope. It's not just he gives it to you. He is the hope. He's going to restore your love again, your first love again, where you're going to believe that God can redeem. And it starts, number one, with you and your relationship with him. God set up an opportunity. I call it the great equalizer. It's called the table of communion. What do you mean, Pastor Mark? Well, I read this in the very beginning of our message. 1 Corinthians 11. Paul's talking to the church of Corinth. I said this, and he says, there must be factions among you in order for us to know who's genuine. But, but here's the funny thing. If we keep reading, because this is a complete thought, right? Paul's writing a letter. We talked about this. He's writing a letter, and it's a complete thought. So four verses later, Paul goes, and the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. Hold on a second. We're talking about offense. He leads us into communion, and then right after that, in verse 27, he says this, whoever therefore eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then so to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone, listen, who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul, this is tough. He says this, this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died this is a big offense but if we judged ourselves truly we would not be judged but when we are judged by the lord why we so that we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world what paul is saying here is communion is more than just taking a wafer and drinking some grape juice it's your opportunity it's my opportunity to come before the table of god and say god create in me a clean heart renew a right spirit before i take this god i want to be in right standing with you god i remove the pain that i feel towards you god help me to forgive help me to release my husband my wife my sister, my brother, whoever it is. God, I don't want to take this without discerning the body. And if we will do this, hear me, I want you to hear me. If we will learn to do this the right way, Scripture says that we actually can be healed in communion. Come on, how often does that happen? We actually can have restoration when we take this. Why? Because this is an example of Jesus coming inside of us. 
When we take the bread, it's his body broken for us. When we take the cup, the juice, it's his blood covering our sins, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. It's healing us from every sickness and disease. Listen, we, we, we nonchalantly go through this, but what if we really understood the power of this coming before the communion table in right standing? God, I'm sorry. And if we took this the right way, Communion is not just Jesus and us, but it's you and me corporately. So today, with every eye closed, before we go any further into our time of communion here today, I want to ask you this question right now. Like, who is it that God wants you to forgive? And maybe it's him. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? This message is for me. Last week's message was for me. And I'm working on it. And I commend you. The good news about this message is wherever you're at in the process, you're headed towards the destination. Just don't stay where you're at. For some of you, God's asking you to release someone. Maybe they passed away. And you're like, Lord, I forgive them. And for some of you, God's actually saying, I want you to sit down with them and share your offense with them. And you're like, man, Lord. But I'm telling you, when you do it, ooh, weight lifts off of you. You can feel the presence of God. Listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. If we don't get this right, we can cry out to God all we want. And the glory that we're asking for will never come down if we don't first walk in right standing with one another and with him. I'm telling you, it's that serious. As your pastor, I'm walking through this. I hate this series because every time I do it, I'm like, yikes. But I need this series, PJ. I need it. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. I'm going to read this to you today. When the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. If you need communion cup, Raise your hand if you would. Our ushers will get you something. When he given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And today as we take this, we have to remember that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So this is an opportunity for us to take Jesus in, to be reminded that without you, God, I can't do this. I can't walk unoffended without you. So today, let's take this bread, this wafer, do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink this in remembrance of me. For as often, Southview, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today, may we die to our flesh and may we walk by the Spirit. So we take this, God, we take you in today. If you're here today or you're watching us online and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that everything I just shared with you, you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. You need the power of Jesus inside of you to be able to forgive and let go. 
Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the sun sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.